All right, good morning. So we are on our fifth stone. Um, our stack is getting higher. And, and today, today we're going to talk about um, discipleship. And, and I can tell you one thing. So fair warning right off the bat here. Man, Jesus has been stepping all over my toes about this, okay? So guess what? I'm gonna step on yours today about it, okay? Because that's what I do. That's how this works. God steps on my toes, I step on yours, and, and, and then we all get our toes stepped on, and then, we, and then hopefully we, we, we move in a direction that, that God has called us to. So, so this, this is, it's discipleship, and, and I wanna just say that, that like, I think that it's probably the most discussed thing that's going on uh, among the churches, the local churches, the pastors um, at PYC and our meeting and stuff like that. It just comes back to, to, uh, to, to discipleship. Um, in, in conversations that I'm having out there just with folks and stuff, a lot of times we're, we're just getting back. I really truly believe that God is calling his church back to the place and back to the program that he initiated for the growth of his church, which is discipleship. And um, I, I just want to say that, honestly, um, there, there's a lot of things that, that we're going to talk about this morning. I think that there's a lot of approaches that, that Western church philosophy has taken that, that I just don't know. I don't know that it's really um, very congruent a lot of the times with the idea of discipleship. It, there's a lot of things that we're doing that aren't necessarily bad, but if discipleship isn't a real focus, um, then, then we kind of lose the point. I'm going to hold that this is a pivotal and key stone here. That as a matter of fact, that the rest of what we're gonna talk about throughout this whole series hinges off of this idea of discipleship. And if we aren't a church that is effectively being disciples, A, and making disciples, then we really honestly, the, the rest of the whole series is, is just gonna be um, just feel-good messages, honestly. Um, you know, transformation, community, generosity, hospitality, service, and endurance are all going to hinge off of this concept of discipleship, of being a disciple and making disciples. You see, discipleship is our response to the gospel. If the gospel has come in and we have received the gospel and we've understood the reality of who God is and the reality of what God has done for us, the next most reasonable thing that should happen in our lives is should start to look like obedience. We should begin to truly begin to follow the things that, that God said. And and, and, you know, and, and so it's just some interesting things that we're kind of doing, I think, as, as churches. Um, and, and again, I'm not going to sit here and say that they're all bad, but this idea of discipleship is just key. Discipleship is disciple. The word disciple is used 260 times in the four gospels plus the book of Acts. Um, and I'm going to say that without the component of discipleship, we truly run the risk of, as a church of disillusioning people. As a matter of fact, if people don't really understand and fall into this idea of, of being a disciple, if all we do is pray a prayer, then we stand a very real risk of, of causing people to become very disillusioned about the reality of Christianity. 
A, maybe they don't even do it. Maybe they just take uh, the prayer and they take that as fire insurance. Maybe, or B, maybe that's as far as they ever go is to pray a prayer. And the reality of their life is, is that nothing has really changed, that things haven't really happened, that they haven't really received much healing or much hope or much change in their lives. They haven't really engaged. They haven't renewed their minds. They haven't become a real disciple. And so then what they begin to possibly do is say, hey, been there, done that, got the t-shirt, didn't really work, right? They leave the church. Or the next thing that is a possibility, and it's a real possibility, is that they look into the church, they look into our lives, they say, hey, it's not really working in your life because you're not applying the disciplines, you're not being, you're not being a disciple, so it doesn't seem to be working in your life, I don't know why it would work in mine. And so then we leave people on the outside. So this idea, this, this concept, this idea of discipleship, I'm just gonna say is an absolute key. Jesus said, follow me. When Jesus called his disciples, he didn't tell them to pray a prayer. He said to follow me. He said to enter in and look at me, listen to my life, come in and just begin to follow me. Paul, as he was talking to the Corinthian church, in, in chapter 11, he said, follow me as I follow Christ, right? It's the idea that we are gonna, in obedience, begin to follow with these things. Um, Jesus didn't tell people to pray a prayer. He actually gave us a great commission to do. Now, I'm not saying that the prayer is a bad thing, but the prayer is really a heart thing. It's not about words. And to be honest with you, I think it should disturb us a little bit that it's not in the Bible, there is not the sinner's prayer in the Bible. Now, again, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. The concepts are there and the concepts I get. But I think that part of one of the problems with evangelism in the Western world today is that we're trying to just get people to pray a prayer. And that's not the picture. The picture is follow me. The, the, the picture is become dedicated, obedient followers of Jesus. As a matter of fact, in the book of James, it tells us if we're hearers of the word but not doers, we fool ourselves right? That we're like a man that after having looked at his natural face in the mirror and having gone away, immediately forgets who he was. That our identity is actually found, the reality of who we are as Christians, our identity is found in the doing, in the participation, in, in the obedience of living the Christian life out. The problem with us is, is, that, is that we um, have become a lot of times churches that wanna speak the, the gospel. See, the gospel, the discipleship is the gospel in action. The gospel is knowledge, discipleship is action. We're not just looking for knowledge, we're looking for participation, right? And so Jesus, he gave us this great commission. And if you've, if you've ever had a conversation with Brent, he's gonna tell you this, okay? He's gonna tell you that this is Jesus' parting shot right? This is his parting shot. And, and, and this is the very last thing that Jesus told his followers before he left, saying, I'm going to be gone for X amount of time. I'm coming back. But while I'm gone, I want you to think about, it. here's the thing. And so, so Brent would tell you that if you were about to leave your family and the people that you loved, and you had one opportunity, and you had the very last thing that you were gonna tell them was probably the thing that was the nearest and the dearest thing to your heart. It was probably gonna be the thing that is closest to you. It's the thing you wanna most make sure that they get and that they understand before you take off and leave. So this is what Jesus gave us. In Matthew 28, we have what is called the great co-mission. The joining of the mission 
of growing the church, of building the church, of, 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 of helping people to find and come to know a relationship with the risen Jesus is a co-mission. It's a mission that we do with Jesus as his church. Now, listen to this. Now, the 11 disciples, they went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. I think that's an interesting thing right there. It says some of them doubted. He didn't call them out. He didn't pick on them. He, he didn't bust their chops for doubting. Same way with Thomas. He just simply said, hey, this is what you need. Let me just show you here. Stick your finger in here, okay? Now do you believe? You know, Jesus is patient with people. He was patient with his disciples. Think about some of the things that his disciples did. I mean, here he is, the, the, the creator of all things. He picks these, these 12 guys, and in almost no time, they're, they're like, they're, they're going, I'm the best. No, I am. I'm the greatest. No, you're not. I'm the best. They wanted to burn a town down because the people there wouldn't let them spend the night. <laughs> Look, should we call down fire from heaven on them? And Jesus is like, no. Jesus is patient with them, but, but some doubted, but he, he never stopped there. I think it's a real picture too with how he dealt with Peter. Peter was saying, you know, Jesus is like, do you agape me? Do you, do you have the highest form of love for me? And he's like, well, man, I mean, how could I say that after what I did? Um, I really like you. <laughs> and Jesus is like, okay, feed my sheep. And it's just this picture of how he dealt with his disciples. And I think, too, we need to be challenged with what does a disciple look like because technically none of these guys are yet believers. Well, I mean, maybe here they are. But technically, while he was discipling them, while they were being brought in, were they really believers prior to his death, resurrection, and ascension? I, I, but, they were, but he called them disciples, right? So anyway, let's think about this. He says, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came to them and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Okay, so Jesus says, look, I'm the one, I hold all authority. And because I hold all authority and because you are my people now, do this, go. Now the Greek in this is about as you go. It's not go, it's, it, it's not a destination, it's not an event. This is an as you're going kind of a thing, that as you're doing life, as you're interacting with the world around you, as you're brushing up against people and bumping up against them, you and I are supposed to do what? Go therefore and, do, and, and, and preach to them. Go therefore and plant churches. Go therefore and um, make disciples. Make disciples. This is where it hinges. And everything off of this now is gonna hinge off of this concept of what we're supposed to do is we are supposed to make disciples. What is a disciple? A disciple is a disciplined one. It's the one who's learned. It's the one who has grown in this. It's the one who's come to understand and is currently practicing this stuff. So go and make disciples of all the nations everywhere. I just wanna tell you that Jesus has no missional focus. His missional focus starts right here and it just goes out. And so he says, go and go to all the nations. Go everywhere and make disciples. And then what? Baptize them, right? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Why do we baptize them? We baptize people because it is a public profession that says, I now identify myself and my life with Jesus Christ, right? I, his death 
and his resurrection. I've joined him in death. I now live in him and for him. And I also, too, am associating myself with God's people. I'm associated with his church. It's a public profession of that. It's part of the discipline that he's calling us to. So we're supposed to baptize them. But remember, he didn't call us to go and baptize people. It's not this idea that like this is about this big, it's about making disciples and, and part of making disciples is baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe, to follow, to listen, to do, right? It starts with knowledge, but it doesn't end with knowledge. It ends with the observation of the commands. It ends with the observation, the actual follow-through, the doing of the word, not just the hearing. It may start with the hearing, but it can't end there. We may start with the gospel, but we cannot end there. We have to be a community that is creating and making disciples, and so it says that, teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. So, if we're doing that, if Jesus says to, that we are supposed to deserve or to, to um, observe all that he has commanded us, well, guess what? In, uh, in verse 19, he said, go therefore and make disciples. So if we're a disciple, if we would call ourselves a disciple of Christ, part of the obedience of being a disciple or a believer is that we are engaged in this process of making disciples. It's the recipe for church growth that Jesus laid out. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. It's that final assurance that we can trust that God and it, that, that he is participating in this with us and that we can hold tight to him. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. Do you know if you took a penny, if you started with one penny, and probably you know this, does anybody know, if you took one penny, and, and on day one, or day two, you doubled that to two pennies, and day three, you made that four pennies, and day four, you made that eight pennies, and day uh, five, you made it 16, and day seven, or what am I getting messed up? I'm at 64, 32, and then I'm at 64. Do you know, if you, when you got to the end of 30 days, do you know how much money you would have? $5,368,709.12. That's the power of multiplication. You see, Jesus hasn't just called us to go and make converts. He's called us to go and multiply the life of Christ first in ourselves and then multiply the life of Christ into others, to go and, and reproduce ourselves into the lives of other people. It's his recipe for growing the church. What we've done in, in Western world is, is that we've started to make all kinds of programs, right? And, and those programs aren't bad. I'm not saying they're bad, but if they end there, if all we're doing is just taking in Bible studies and we're just like, we're just getting fat, we're, just, we're, not, they're, they're, we're not actually exercising this stuff, then we're missing the whole point of what the church is supposed to be. We're missing the whole point of what it is. It's if we're just receiving, receiving, now we've, we've entered into and we've become a consumeristic church. See, the idea is multiplication. And then how do we do that? And what does that 
really begin to look like? And how can we be creative in that? You see, it's, it's not just information, it's application too. I heard an analogy I liked the other day and it was about music. And if I was actually able to do this, which I'm not, but there are people who are here that could, it was, let's just say in here we were trying to teach music, okay? So if our goal was knowledge, if our goal was to impart knowledge into everybody here, then the, the best, most effective use of my time at this point would be for, me, for us to pack as many people in here as we could get in here on a Sunday or whatever like that and just impart knowledge into them. Unfortunately, I think that that's what Western church is, is doing. We're focused on the numbers. We're focused on Sunday. We're focused on, on this. But if the idea isn't just knowledge, if the idea is to make musicians, now guess what? I've now stifled myself by trying to spread myself too thin. The only way for me to effectively make musicians is to narrow the scope, right? This is exactly what Jesus did. It's exactly what Jesus did. He, did. he didn't try to impart his life into everybody. He taught, and he did, and so I'm not gonna try to dismiss our Sunday service as important, but it can't end there. It can't stop there. And so there's a real requirement. If the idea is at the end of the thing, we don't want just head knowledge. We don't just want people who know about Jesus, but we want people who are actually living the life of Jesus out in the community around us, who are on purpose, it, with a mission, knowing that my life is about actually going and making sure I'm around unbelievers, not just creating this, this kind of this, this place where if, you know, hey, you agree with everything that we say, you know, you can, then you're, you know, come on in here and we can fellowship and stuff like that. No, that's not what Jesus did. Jesus didn't t doctrinally test everybody before he even made them. He just, follow me, come follow me. He didn't say, okay, here's all the doctrine, and if we're in agreement with all this, okay, then we can fellowship together and we're good to go. This is the problem. This is where denominations have come from a lot of times is that we begin to, to, to build walls between people. There's gotta be an on-ramp for people who absolutely don't get this. There's gotta be an on-ramp, and that on-ramp looks like simply inviting people into your life displaying and showing the life of Jesus to the world around you, just actually living this out in the way that we're called to do it. So if we're gonna make musicians, guess what? It's gonna take us all. If we're effectively gonna turn this room into a, 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 a bunch of musicians, then guess what? I could never do that on my own. What it would look like is that we each are participating in that. We each have people that we're helping with that. And then therefore we could start to replicate the idea of not just having head knowledge, not just understanding music theory, but actually beginning to apply and play music. That starts to look like discipleship. Again, it's, it's not done by something. Discipleship isn't done by something. It's not done by a program. It's done by someone. That's what discipleship looks like. It looks like active participation. Luke chapter 14. Man, Jesus starts to get in our business, okay, right here. This is toe-stepping. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. What's Jesus saying here? 
I think what he's saying is that, you know, we, we, we tend to be a people who kind of say, you know what, that'd be really cool. You know what I really want? I really want God to be my strong tower. I really want him to, to be my defense. I, 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 I wanna build a tower so I can see enemies coming, right? So I can look over my vineyard and my stuff and, and my resources and stuff like that. And I wanna, I wanna be able to look it over. Um, and, and so a tower would be, I mean, I'd love to have a tower. But before we start to build a tower, right, we've got to actually count the cost. We've got to realize what does that look like to actually have a tower? I meet a lot of people a lot of times, and I tell them this all the time, who are in recovery, and I tell them, I, oft, I never doubt people's sincerity to have something different. I know people want something different. We all want different things. We want different results in our lives. We want different relationships. We want things to work out in different ways. But I rarely meet people who are willing to do what it really takes to have something different. See, we can want it, but wanting isn't enough. Our, our desires aren't enough. It's counting the cost and it's the application. And Jesus says, don't be this guy who starts to build and then recognizes he doesn't really have the resources to get it done. He goes on to say, or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. Think about this. This is this idea that, that, um, that there's two armies and, and, and one is twice as big as the other one. And so it's very important if you have the smaller army to look around to say, do I have the resources to actually be victorious in this? Do I have the resources to do this? Am I able to follow through with this? Um, and if not, might be a good idea to seek some peace, right? See, we wanna build a lot of times just our own thing. We wanna, we wanna be victorious on our own efforts and our own abilities and these kinds of things. But I think that Jesus is telling us here is that it's insufficient. Your resources are really insufficient to land you where you wanna land. You wanna have a good life. You wanna have good things. You wanna have a tower. You wanna have all these things. But you better understand that there's a cost to it. And, and also, too, that... that to have it, you, you, you really don't have the reason. You're not gonna, you're not, you're not gonna beat this army. You got 10,000, they got 20,000. If, if that's where you stay is, is with your 10,000 army, you, what you really need to do is seek peace and join the other side kind of a thing. And this, this little touchy little thing I'm realizing did this. I gotta back up. Now great crowds accompanied him and he turned and said to him, so, so listen, we got thousands of people following Jesus and now he turns around and he says this to him, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be his disciple. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? <laughs> right? It's like, what is that, Jesus? I mean, what, what's the deal with that? How come, how come you, I mean, aren't we supposed to be about family? Aren't we supposed to, like, well, yeah, you are. This is hyperbole. This is a drastic example that's meant to make a point in our lives. And what Jesus is really saying is in comparison to me, nothing else can, can hold this position. Nothing else can, can supersede this. No relationship can supersede. I'm telling you, in working with people and, and you know, people that are in recovery, what they'll tell you really quick is that no relationship superseded their addiction. 
Their kids couldn't do it. Their spouses couldn't do it. Their parents couldn't do it. Their family members, their friends, nothing superseded that relationship because it was the highest power in their life. It was their God. It was what they were turning to. And, and, and so the answer to that is to turn away from that and, and to repent and to turn towards a God who can bless you and curse you versus this higher power that you were trusting in that was just cursing you. But nonetheless, no relationship trumps it. And this is what the nature, when Jesus says that he has to be first, what he's telling us is that you can't put your wife there. You can't put your parents there. You can't put your kids there. Then they become an idol in your life. And they can never fulfill that thing. There's only one that can be first, and that's God. And there's a cost to that, though. There's, there's hard things to that. And then he goes on and he says, you got to bear your own cross, and you got to come after me to be my disciple. The cross is the instrument of death. you got to die to self, to live, to, to find our life and what God really has. We've got to be willing to lose it. We've gotta really be willing to lose it to count the cost. And that's what this whole next thing is all about is that, guess what, ministry, it's not convenient. It's never convenient and it's never easy. And it, but if we're gonna do it, it's worth it and it's good. And that's why Jesus is saying, you gotta count the cost. You gotta look at this, you gotta make peace. You gotta get on the right side because you don't really have the resources to land yourself where you wanna land. If you make life all about you, you're gonna run out of resources. Time, ultimately, if nothing else, right? So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. It's not a call to poverty. It's a call to right positioning in our lives for our stuff. Recognizing that stuff is just stuff. Hobbies are just hobbies. But God is ultimate reality. He's the thing that we live for, right? And, 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 and having those place, those things take their right place. That's what it is to renounce, to not hold on to this world and this life and the things of it. This is what it looks like to become his disciple. And now he goes on, he says, salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? Some things say, how can it, what, what seasons salt? Nothing. Salt seasons other things, right? And so we talk about this and this idea of salt. Did you know that the word salary, I just found this out, salary means salt money. And it was a pay given to a Roman soldier so that he could purchase salt. And the word, we hear things like that guy's worth his salt, right? It's this concept that salt, salt is something in this back here, like we don't think anything of it because we, we got salt, it's all over the place, right? It's in little baggies, we just break, it's, it's everywhere, but it wasn't like that for them. Salt was actually a very valuable commodity. It was a valuable resource that they, that they held on to. And, and so when Jesus is saying this, he's saying, look, don't lose track of what you're about. Don't, don't, don't become something that you weren't created to be. You were created to be salty, be salty, we're gonna make that shirt that t-shirt that says, what is what is it gonna say? Be salty. Stay salty. Stay salty. Yeah, stay salty. Um, because it, 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 what, what he's saying is that you you were made, you were uniquely purposed for a ministry to, to, and given unique relationships around you that you have influence into. You, your giftings, your abilities, your experiences are uniquely given so that you can influence people in the world around you for Christ, so that you can begin to make disciples, so that you can invite people into your life um, 
in that. So, so this idea of salt, Jesus is saying, look, if you, if you lose track of what you were created to be, if you're not out there seasoning the world, if you're not out there preserving the world, if you're not in, out there and interacting with it and being the salt of the earth, you're missing it. This is what Jesus did. He went out. He went outside of the doors. Like we said, I, I just, I, I, I want to quit calling this church. I'd like to just start calling this the building that the church assembles in on Sunday so that we can be together and encourage one another. See, because the church is people and the church is going to leave here and the church, then this place is going to be an empty building. So Jesus is saying, look, I've made you to be salt. Don't lose your saltiness. Don't lose your effectiveness. Don't lose the reason that you've been created because how else, what else have you been made for? It's of no use really. And if we, if we miss this, if we miss the real point of life, that's gonna be a really regretful thing. If we live our lives just for the things, just to have big towers, just to have, have all kinds of stuff, we're gonna miss the point of life. If those things aren't in our proper priority in our lives, we're, we're, they're, they're, gonna, they're gonna distract us. They're gonna take us away. They're gonna, they're gonna cause us to miss the real reason that God has called us and what God has called us to be and do. So what does it look like? Some, some, uh, just a few things to be a disciple. Jesus says to, to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So there's the, there's the idea, abide, make your home right here. Do you know God's word? Are you in God's word for yourself? Because that's part of being a disciple, is understanding this, not just having somebody give it to you or another video or another right now media thing. I love those things, don't get me wrong. Or a book that somebody else, but do you know what God's word says? Have you spent time there? Have you made your home there? Have you made your abode there in his word because it's really part of this process. If we don't first know it, how are we gonna impart it to anybody else? John 13, 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Do we love each other? Really? Do we tolerate each other sometimes, right? But really, there's something that should set us apart as a community of believers, something that should look very attractive from the outside, to where unbelievers should be like beating down the door saying, can I just please get in there? Can I please be a part of what you guys have going on? Something's happening in there. And it's the real necessity of why God is saying that his people need to be obedient. So I'm calling this all up. We've gotta be obedient. We have to, we have to be a witness to God's word. We have to watch what we say and how we do it. We have to watch our actions and we have to actually live out this message. Otherwise, the world is gonna look at us and they're gonna say, it means nothing to them. Why would it mean anything to me? John 15, eight, by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So bearing fruit is part of this thing. 
and we're not going out to work because we're trying to earn God's approval or, or, or to be saved or any of those things, but it's a response to the gospel, to that fourth stone, this idea of discipleship, this idea of going out and doing the things that God has called us to do is a response to the love that we've experienced in our own life because we've come to know the creator of all things because we've come into relationship with him and he's moved us into a place where it's our deepest desire to go out and to do the things that he's called us to do. And this is hard. This is hard stuff, right? I want you to think about Jesus and when he called Levi and when he called Zacchaeus and stuff like that. He just kind of got in there. He just got, he just mixed it up with them. Levi, he's some tax collector sitting on the side of the road, probably taking customs taxes. He's a, he's a, um, he's a, a traitor to his people. Nobody likes this guy. None of the Jewish religious people are reaching out to this guy. They want to see him experience all kinds of bad hardship, and they, 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 they probably hope he dies. But Jesus looks at the guy right there in the middle of what he's doing and says, hey, Come follow me. And he does. He does. He's, what was that like? How attractive must Jesus have been? Zacchaeus is some little guy that everybody hates too because he's, he's, he's extorting taxes out of everybody. And he's up in some tree and Jesus says, hey, I'm coming to your house tonight for dinner. Wow. And I want you to think about and really look into the scripture and see how much, and we're gonna deal with this stuff as we continue to go on, but how much of this kind of stuff happens around a dinner table? How much ministry does Jesus do, not in the synagogue, not in the church, but at the dinner table? And you see, this is something that we can all do. This is, this is what we're all called to. And if you're a believer, you have a testimony. You have the ability to begin to influence somebody for Jesus. You may not be there. You may not have arrived, but you can share the hope that you have. You can tell them about the change that Jesus has made in your life. And then here's the second thing. Are we as a church, are you, are you, are you around people that you can influence for Christ? And when you're around them, without being a jerk or, you know, just... Um, so just intrusive that people are like, will you just quit? But are we sharing? Are we, are, we, are we just kind of having people to understand and know where we come from and are we trying to look different in this thing? Maybe you say, not me, man, I'm way too messed up for that. Well, you don't know me then because I'm way too messed up for this too. I can't even believe it. I don't even know why I'm up here. I don't know why anybody would listen to anything I have to say. But that's God's thing. God changed me. He changed my life. And I was really messed up on a lot of levels. But Jesus came, he intervened into my life and he changed me. And I've never been the same. For the last 20 years, life has never looked the same for me. Hasn't always been good, hasn't always been easy. But I wanna tell you, that none of us here are too messed up. And let's don't relegate this stuff to like, oh, that's, that's you know, that's, you know, the pastor, it's a pastor's job or it's Mike's thing or tries. No, no, that's not, that's not. I look at myself honestly as a facilitator because we're all part of the church. Like I said, if, if the idea was just to impart knowledge, then okay, let's, let's try to do our best at that. Let's fill this place up. But that's not our plan. Our plan is not to impart just knowledge to people. Knowledge might be part of that, 
but we wanna, we're about application. And so that's gonna require that we're all doing that. And hopefully what I see myself as just a facilitator that helps us to all hopefully join into that process. But I'm gonna tell you that if we don't, if we aren't effectively discipling, then we aren't effectively being the church that Jesus has called us to be. We're missing the point. And then here's the other thing too. Maybe you're saying this. I don't wanna. Well, me either. <laughs> a lot of times. That's the truth, you know? I don't always want to either. And I don't always do it. Sometimes there's opportunity. God, God's like, look, I just teed it up for you. Will you just step over there and hit it? And I'm like, I don't wanna. <laughs> I wanna do this. I get it. This isn't convenient. It's not easy. But I wanna tell you too, that I know this, the times where I've engaged into this process for real in my heart, and, I, and, I've, and, I've, and I've followed this and done as best of my ability what I could and, and was talking to people and sharing into their lives and, and sharing hope and life, and I've never felt more alive. So there's a, there's a deception that's out there, let's just be aware of it, that says, you know, you're not gonna wanna do it, or, or I'm too busy, or I got this, or I got that, or I don't have, okay. Me too, I get it. But there's a higher calling. There's a higher way to live. There's more to it. And when we enter into that, we'll never, ever, ever be more alive or living more on purpose, more in stride with what God has for us. Him using our, our shortcomings, our failures, all of the things of our lives, he's the one who wants to take that and remake it into something useful. Only he can. And the only way to have that happen, the only way for that stuff to not just occupy a place of shame in your life is to give it over to him and say, man, if you could use this in the life of a disciple, here it is. Here it is. If you could just, I'd be willing to share this with somebody. I'd be willing to help somebody along in this journey. I'm willing to open my home and my life up. See, this is what Jesus did. It, it, you know, I think that sometimes, and we all do this, we realize, you know, I got a, we got a one-hour meeting at uh, Tuesday at 2. No, it's about life. It's about living life together. And, and that's the only thing that's gonna recreate a, this community into something that's super attractive to those outside is when we begin to truly do life together. And that looks like transparency. It looks like openness. It looks like honesty. It looks like sometimes hard conversations. It looks like the reality that we're not always gonna get along or see things the same way and all that kind of stuff. But when we navigate all that in love, we'll be fulfilling God's mission for us as the church when we're multiplying ourselves. See, I don't know that we truly could even say we're a disciple until we've made another disciple. And not just that, but guess what? When we've seen that disciple make a disciple. That's when we've multiplied ourselves. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that, um, that Lord, that you have uniquely wired each person here to fulfill a ministry that you have for them. You've, you've, you've given us everything that we need, Lord. You've, you've uh, even our failures, you stand ready to redeem those things. Even our shortcomings, Lord, even the things that we're just ashamed of, you, you stand ready to rework that into something that's good. What Satan has intended as evil, you stand now ready to work for the good. And so, Lord, we just pray. I just pray that, Lord, we would enter into your plan of church growth, that we would truly understand that you've, you're the one who has told us how to do it. And it's really not that complicated, um, but we've made it kind of complicated. Uh, forgive us, Lord, where we've just left it at a prayer. 
Um, forgive us where we uh, have just been too selfish to open our lives up to other people. And just help us, Lord, to understand the reality of what you've called us to, the real life, the abundant life that you've called us to live into. Help us, Lord, to not be deceived by the things of the enemy, but help us, Lord, to trust you in all of who we are and all of the time that we have left, each and every one of us. And we give all praise, all glory, all honor to you, Jesus. Thank you for all that you've accomplished for us, that which we could never do. And may we be sold out, obedient followers of you. In Jesus' name, amen.